You're listening to The Calling. Last week, we started to explore our prayer life as it relates to God's answer not aligning with our desired outcome. We reviewed how we live in the here and now, and as a result, our prayers come from a place of continued life here on earth. It's because of this we were asked the question that was given to Martha in John chapter 11, which asked us if we believe that everyone who lives in Jesus and believes in Jesus will never, ever die. This week, we're going to dive a little deeper into the emotional response that occurs when our prayers are not answered the way we want by discussing grief. Lord willing, we'll continue to grow together in Christ. Grief is a terrible emotional response that affects our physical, emotional, and spiritual health. We experience sadness, anger, distress, depression, denial, guilt, irrational or impulsive actions. The list goes on and on. And for some of us, we make no bones about grieving. We openly admit that we are in a season of grief. For others, like myself, we deny that we're grieving, and as a result, we bury the thoughts and feelings generated by loss deep within. Now, the most common trigger for for grief is death, or death of someone we love. But I want to be clear, grief can attack us from other areas of our life as well. Loss is the common denominator for grief, but not death. I want to point that out because a lot of the times we only allow ourselves time to grieve when it's related to someone we care about dying. In addition to working with and experiencing death-related grief, it's also important to understand what else can cause us grief. I've worked and cared for people who've experienced grief from the loss of a relationship, being displaced from home, having a loss of personal power, maybe it's a health function. This isn't an all-inclusive list, but in short, grief is a normal human reaction to loss, specifically to the loss of a relationship. This is also an example God gives us that regardless of the world around us, we possess the ability to love. Now, I have very little experience with grief myself in terms of things that I have lost and grieved over. And before we get started, it's also important for you to also know my loss does not equate to your loss. And although the feelings may be similar, the pain is individualized. I really felt that that's important for us to share as we move forward. Now, I just shared that grief is a result of loss, and more specifically, it's the loss of a relationship you have with someone or something. For example, maybe it's a breakup. They're tough. You spend time working and developing a relationship, then one day it's gone. You're left pondering what happened, what could you have done differently, or or why did you ever engage in that relationship to begin with? Maybe you've lost your job. You know, the business side of things needs to save money, and you're a casualty of budget cuts, leaving you with a void to, to figure out what to do next. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's the ability to walk. Maybe it's a personal freedom. For example, when my grandparents lost the ability to drive as a result of the aging process, I never really appreciated what that loss felt like to them. Until recently, I'm experiencing some health changes of my own, and as we investigate the what and why, my doctor has communicated that it's best that I do not drive. And as a result, I'm dependent on my wife to drive me around. Now, these are just a few non-death-related examples to help us process and understand that grief can occur without death. But grieving death is the most crippling, isn't it? I've shared and referenced my grandfather frequently on this podcast, and although I'm blessed to have been born into a family that had all of my grandparents alive, his departure hit me the hardest. 
Maybe it was my wild hormonal adolescent tendencies, or, or maybe it was just where I was in my development stage. I was six when my pap, which was my father's father, passed away. Young and innocent, believing everyone goes to heaven and I would see pap again. At 18, when my grampy died, I wasn't so convinced I'd make it to heaven, and as a result, would never see my grandfather again. The weeks were long and the emotions were all over as I processed his departure. I'd tell myself he was 88, this is a normal part of life, but that didn't remove the sting of his absence. And to make it worse, I grieved silently. I would numb the thoughts and and avoid speaking his name out loud for years. What life examples do you have that have caused you grief? Divorce? Unemployment? Health? Death? Regardless of our age, I'm confident that you've experienced loss and as a result, experienced the emotional reaction known as grief. So with that, let us refocus our minds to God's word and invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts as we explore grief and loss. Lord willing, we're going to continue to grow together. And we're going to view several scriptures today, and we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to explore King David's loss. Now, it's important to know that at this time, David has just done some bad things. And after a healthy rebuke from his brother-in-arms, Nathan, David confesses his sins in an attempt to save his sick child. And we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 15, it is written, After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and he laid all night on the bare ground. The elders of the household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Amen. There's a lot going on in this passage. And much like last week, King David is begging God to spare his child from death. Scripture tells us he went without food and laid all night on the bare ground, and even the elders of the household pleaded with him to get up, but he refused. A common side effect of grief is guilt. Although it doesn't specifically state guilt in this passage, it's important to start here because the child is sick as a direct result of David's actions. How many of us blame ourselves for the loss? We ask, if only we had done something differently, or only if I didn't do this. Guilt attacks us by telling us we messed up. This has happened because of you. This is your fault. But this is the world talking. This is the enemy communicating. Because God tells us something different. He speaks to us directly in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus is here to tell you, let go of your guilt and have faith in your Lord and Savior so true healing can begin. If you're holding on to the guilt, you're making yourself a slave to grief. And if that's you, it's time to visit the cross. Amen? Amen. Now we see the struggle with David as we learn again that he's, he's on the floor, he's not eating, and those and his house who cared for him, they tried to comfort him, but no avail. How many of us during these times are surrounded by loved ones, but we shut down? 
How many of us do this when we lose something or someone and we just tell people, leave us alone? We try to be comforted, but we just don't accept it. We just want to lay there alone. That's another side effect of grief, loneliness. As we grieve, we tend to segregate ourselves away from others. No one understands my pain. I need time by myself because I'm the only one who gets me. And this is another lie that prevents us from embracing the healing process offered through Jesus Christ. And scripture reminds us throughout that we are never alone. Amen. Amen. Before we go any further, though, with David, let's also take a look at Job. We learn in Job chapter 1 that he is a man of perfect integrity and feared God. He loved his children so much that he would regularly burn offerings so that in the event his children did commit sin, they would be forgiven. He didn't even know if they did sin, but just in case, he did this regular practice here. Then in verse 18 of chapter 1, we learn that all of Job's children die when the home that they are in collapses. Now look at verse 20. He had just found out all of his children have died. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell on the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. In his great loss, Job grieved, then praised God. He didn't blame God. For those of you who know the story of Job, know that this is just the beginning of his loss. We learn in chapter 2 that his wife tells Job to curse God and die. And when she says this, look at Job's response in verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And all of this God did not Job did not sin with his lips. We have a tendency when when someone is taken from us, we blame God, we get mad. And if we don't accept the guilt and blaming ourselves, we we want to blame something else. And instead of embracing God's comfort, we segregate ourselves, we move ourselves away from this. Let's take a look at what happens next for Job. His friends show up. So he's lost everything. His wife is like, listen, you got to curse God and just die. But his friends hear what's going on and they show up just like much you and I would have done for our friends or what our friends do for us when we experience this. And I want to highlight in chapter 2, verse 13, that communicates to us the initial grief Job and his friends observed. It is written, They sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. For as much as I love to talk, when these moments of grief hit, I have found the best practice is to not say a word at all. Initially, I thought this was because I just didn't know what to say. It was that awkward time. But as I read and grow in scripture, I'm confident that the Holy Spirit has a way of holding our tongues for us. Ask yourself, reflect on that for a second. How many of us have found comfort in the silence while in the company of others? Now, after the trials of Job continue, he would be met with continued strife, bad advice, and requests to God to take his own life. He had gotten to the point where he just figured he had done something, just end it. 
And there are those within the body of Christ that are hurt so bad with grief that they want to die, and in some cases take their own life. I wanted to draw attention to this point because God values your life more than anything, and Scripture tells us He will never leave us or forsake us. And this is the hope that we have. And if you're in a season of your life that you feel this way, that you feel that this is it, like there is no tomorrow, please trust in God and reach out to someone. Amen? Amen. So we've examined David, we've examined Job and their loss, and we're going to come back to them shortly. Last week we referenced Jesus and Lazarus, acknowledging Jesus grieved his friend, and Scripture tells us in John chapter 11 that he wept, he was saddened, and we're asked point blank the question, do you believe this fundamental foundation of faith is necessary in helping us cope with grief? Now I want to emphasize cope, not remove. God doesn't remove the experiences and seasons of grief. He does, however, provide us the reassurance of his presence. If you turn to Matthew chapter 5, as part of the Beatitudes in verse 4, we're taught God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You've seen this in scripture with both David and Job and Jesus. They're both comforted by those who care for them. It's the first and most natural reaction to loss. And scripture builds on what Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. If you read starting in verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. When you experience the sorrow of grief, who are you most open to listening to? I'm willing to bet it's someone who has lost something similar. It's no coincidence that support groups are comprised of peers with similar affliction. Because this is part of God's model for us to support one another. We not only have our feelings validated by others with similar experiences of these things, but we also don't feel alone that we are the only ones going through this. We feel God's comfort through the interactions of other people. Now, for those of us who experience grief, know that this emotional roller coaster is exhausting. The highs and lows associated with this season wipe us out. Anger, resentment, confusion, disbelief, and other feelings take up residence in our minds and begin to impact our hearts. Adding one more reason to associate with what it tells us in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Amen. In the midst of David's pleas, his son dies. Now flipping back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, it states in verse 19, When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. 
His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they said. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat, but now the child is dead. You have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Before the promise made to Martha, David understood this life is only a path to everlasting life. Did this mean he did not love his child? No. Did this remove the sadness? Absolutely not. What about Job? After withstanding his trials and grief-stricken life, we learn that God restores Job. If you were to keep reading, you'd learn that David would have a child shortly after this tragedy named Solomon. Because that is what our loving God does. He restores. After Jesus dies on the cross, he did not replace Jesus. He restored Jesus. God did not replace the child for David. He didn't replace Job's children. He didn't replace. He restored. When you are faithful, God will restore you. He will not replace what you have lost, but he will comfort and support you until you are fully restored. When you experience loss, you're going to grieve. You can either succumb to it and allow it to take you prisoner by holding on to the memory and allowing images of the past to prevent you from seeing pictures of today, or you can turn to your loving God and hold on to the promises made to you. You can continue to lay on the floor alone, or you can faithfully say, I believe that by having faith in Jesus Christ, no one, nothing will ever die. Amen. Mm, Amen. It was about three years after my grandfather had passed away before I ever went to the cemetery. And on this particular day, the first time I'd actually visited his grave site since his passing, I sat there and talked to him and, and just shared everything that had happened in between. It was an emotional time. I cried and expressed my love and how much I missed him. And after that therapeutic appointment, I, uh, I got up and I went to leave. When I got to my car, I went to sit in it and I had this urge to get out of the car and look up. Get out, look up now. So I did. And what I saw was the most perfectly shaped heart cloud I'd ever seen. It was there in a, in a sky with no other clouds confirming we all need to ask ourselves. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Do you believe this, Derek? Yes. Yes, I do. This week, as you spend time in prayer, take time thanking God for everyone in your life. Thank him for the blessings of being able to walk and talk and spend time with those you love. Continue to reach out to the body of Christ as we continue to grow together. If you are in need of prayer or someone to talk to, send an email to the underscore calling at hotmail.com. I'd love to talk to you. If you're experiencing grief and the feelings of emotions associated with a loss, reach out to your Savior. Reach out to somebody. Seek restoration that only God can provide. God is calling you to be restored. Will you answer?